You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. I actually started, I've been here now about 15 months, and now we're kind of looking, it doesn't seem like 15 months. Some of you are like, oh, it seemed way longer than that, you're wearing us out. Some of you are like, no, 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 because remember, I mean, it's so strange because we, we didn't meet in person for so long as well. World's in a very strange time. I want to take you back to a time, though, June 6, 1944. Uh, very early on in the message, uh, in my, my service here, I mentioned this, I'm going to mention it again. I want you to shout out, if you know, what happened on June 6, 1944. Shout it out. D-Day, thank you. The amphibious landing on D-Day of 160,000 soldiers on the beaches of Normandy, along with 24,000 paratroopers who coasted to land amid foggy darkness and tracer fire. They put the Allied forces, right, Allied forces within range of German soil for the very first time. After months-long planning of assaults on the Nazi batteries, this successful advance along 50 miles of coastline, really Forged against daunting odds and the cost of 9,000 lives dealt a crushing blow to the enemy's hopes. D-Day was the beginning of the end of World War II. Matter of fact, upon the successful landing and establishing of a beachhead on D-Day in World War II, the New York Times and the New York Post and newspapers around the world knew that the war was done. Now, I don't want you to miss that. The world was, the war, excuse me, the war was won. The war was not yet done, but the war was won. Now, now that's the headlines everywhere, but for another year, the fighting raged on. Actually, more people died from that point until the end of the war than the prior three to four years of the war. So from D-Day, they marched across France into Germany, the Battle of the Bulge, where the enemy pushed back across the Rhine, but knowing their cause was just and necessary to defend the basic foundations of freedom and dignity and more. They ultimately completed the Normandy invasion, kept pushing towards the bitter end until the streets of Berlin. And then a day you are less likely to know, which is ironic because we can often say June 6, 1944, but fewer of us will remember May 7, 1945. Because on May 7, 1945, the war in Europe was was done. But on June 6, 1944, the war in Europe was, was won. May 7, 1944, a week after Hitler takes his own life in a bomb shelter under his chancellor, it's called VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. So on D-Day, the war was won. On VE Day, the war is done. On D-Day, the end of the war was inaugurated. On VE Day, the end of the war was consummated. It came to completion and more. And here we live in a world where the kingdom of God has broken into the world. Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven 80 times, primarily in the synoptic gospels. Some say it is the primary teaching of Jesus. It certainly was the focus of his words, what are recorded in the gospels. And Jesus tells us to pray. 
your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're in a series, I Gotta Know. Big questions answered by Jesus himself. The question today is, how does God's kingdom come? And we know that lots of movements sort of break into history with phrases that we remember. In the American Revolution, it was no taxation without representation. In Battle for Texas, right, was remember the Alamo. Civil rights, I am a man. First World War, make the world safe for democracy. Marketers lie awake thinking of how can we come up with phrases that people will remember like got milk. Just do it. Good to the last drop. Jesus had a phrase that he used more than any other phrase to describe what it looks like when God is at work in the world, and that phrase is the kingdom of God. Now, we're walking through the book of Matthew, right? We took a couple of weeks off of that. Pastor Abraham preached a message in view of a call uh, during the missions conference. We had a missions-related message. Josh stayed in the Matthew theme. So here we are in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. If you're just joining us, you're watching us online, you can watch all of these messages online at any time and walk with us through the gospel of Matthew. They do build on one another. So the kingdom of God is our focus today. Now, I want you to know that Matthew, remember a gospel is written by someone, Matthew the tax collector, to someone, a predominantly Jewish audience in Matthew's case, about someone, Jesus. Matthew is writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, so he does not use the phrase kingdom of God as frequently as others do. Because in that day, people would not say the name of God. He uses kingdom of heaven. He uses those terms interchangeably. He does use the phrase kingdom of God some, and he uses those interchangeably. But what I want you to not miss is, if there's a message from Jesus, it's about the kingdom of God. It's not the only message of Jesus, but 80 times the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, it says in Matthew chapter 4, from then on, Jesus began to preach. So this is the message of Jesus. From then on, Jesus began to preach, Revelation 7, excuse me, Matthew 4.17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was on Jesus' mind, and as such, it should be on our mind. We consistently pray, more than any other church that I've served, we consistently uh, pray the disciples' model prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this here more than any other church that I've served. It's a regular part of it. Now, as a kid, I remember praying the Our Father, sometimes as a punishment, sometimes as a penance, and often to the place where we can miss the meaning. So we've slowed down our series through Matthew, taking these things one at a time. And as we look at the prayer of Jesus, we've already seen prayer addressed to the Father, whose name should be hallowed, made, and seen as holy. Now we see the prayer for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Soon, in verse 11, we're going to see Jesus guiding us to pray for ourselves. And first, though we acknowledge the Father and we acknowledge his purposes, a good reminder that as we pray, it's better to start focusing on God rather than focusing on us. There are actually six petitions in the prayer, right? The first three in our text today relate to God and his honor, the remaining three to our concerns. We're to pray to God for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as is heaven. But what does that mean? Number one, three points on that line, right? Number one, God calls us to long for the kingdom. 
God calls us to long for the kingdom, right? Your, say with me, you'll see it on the screen. Are you ready? Your kingdom come. Say it out loud. You're not working with me. Work with me. Are you ready? Your kingdom come. Now you're working with me. The old song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We long for a day when the already, but not yet, becomes realized. See, the kingdom's already here, but it's not yet fully here, right? We're going to see this in just a moment. The kingdom's already here. The war's been won. It's just not done. So for us to pray, your kingdom come, we must even first pray, my kingdom go. Your kingdom come, my kingdom go. So it implies a yearning for God, a longing for the rule and reign of God in my life, not just in my life, but in my family, my home, my workplace, and ultimately the world. It's a yearning, but we have to understand a bit about the, the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God, simply put, is the rule and reign of God. It's something that practically every Christian tradition embraces and teaches, so sometimes with different understandings and application. Right? So um, for brevity and simplicity, I want to look at four things that characterize the kingdom of God. Four things that characterize the kingdom of God. First, the king. In the kingdom of God, God, or Yahweh, is king. And in the kingdom, everything revolves around the king. In scripture, that means the glory of Yahweh. As the scriptures unfold, Yahweh, the name of God given in the Old Testament, Yahweh is revealed fully over time and clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus, more specifically, is the king in the kingdom of God. When we pray, your kingdom come, we want the lordship of Jesus to rule over our lives. So I will tell you, when I began to take the disciples' model prayer, what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer, and use it as a prayer guide in my own life, I would sit in my literal prayer closet as a teenager, and then later in other places, and I would say, Lord, I don't want to leave this time, this place, this, this where I am, this chair, until in this heart, and in this mind, thy kingdom has come, thy will be done. I'm going to align myself because there's a king, and I submit to him. Second, the domain. There's a place where the king reigns. There's a place where the king is the king. Now, um, some of you are of African background. I'm specifically talking about recent immigrants from Africa. How many of you would be a generation or two away from being a recent immigrant from Africa? Raise your hand for just a second. Okay, I see a couple of you. Okay. Okay, so in Africa, what you'll notice is it's more common for churches to use the name embassy. You'll see some African church plants here in New York City that call themselves an embassy of the kingdom of God. The largest church in Kiev in Ukraine is actually the embassy of the kingdom of God, primarily a Nigerian congregation. I'll be talking more about Nigerians in just a bit, so stay with me. Primarily a Nigerian congregation that is now one of the largest churches in Europe. So why do they use the term embassy? Because they believe, we don't use the term as much in most churches in the West, because they believe, rightly so, that the church is an assembly that is gathered together, focused on the kingdom of God, representing Jesus and his kingdom in the world. They are an embassy, and you are an ambassador. Oh, I know, I know Manhattan gets shut down when the UN's in session. Sorry about that. 
Thanks for taking one for the globe. Um, we see all these ambassadors representing a place that's not this place, a king, a country, a sovereign that is not where they live now. So there's a domain, the kingdom, right? So it's an embassy. The church is a, an outpost. Your family is an outpost. Your life is an outpost of the kingdom of God. So Jesus affirms the Old Testament teaching that God is bringing his rule and his reign to earth. And we see this, and there's so much more in the Old Testament that I don't have time to unpack, but in Isaiah 66, 1, it states, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. So God created the earth as a domain to extend his reign. So Abraham Kuyper would put it this way, there is not one square inch in the whole of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine. I want you not to miss this. So everything belongs to the Lord, because I don't want you to miss this, because it's been on my mind, right? So I, I booked my hotel. I had no idea how long this interim would last, and now we're on the, now I'm the lame duck interim. So an interim has no power or no influence. A lame duck interim is just, I don't even know. The guy preaching a few more weeks. So, um, so I booked my hotels, and I got to tell you, I got a great deal in the middle of the pandemic. Said, boy, suddenly the theater district is remarkably affordable. So I booked my hotel basically forever. And don't worry, I'm not keeping it there forever. But now, all of a sudden, my hotel, which is, you know, it's right off of Times Square, is, is, it was so easy to get to. I took my cab in from the airport. I just zip right there. Now it takes me 20 minutes to go four blocks because everyone's going back to the theaters. I know that's good, but I really kind of like my cheap hotel. It's now quadruple what I'm paying because I got the reservations early. But it's interesting because this morning I chose to walk from my hotel, but I noticed last night the vibe is very different, right? Uh, clubs are open and parties are happening again. And as I got into my hotel late last night, I went out to you, got to my hotel late last night, I saw a group of partygoers. And, and I thought to myself, because this message was on my mind, I, I thought to myself, there's going to be a time where you don't have to look for the affirmation and attention, the, the love that you're seeking, because thy kingdom's going to come, thy will's going to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the desperation of those partygoers looking for some meaning and connection in life will be fulfilled by the king whose kingdom has come. So I woke up this morning, and I decided to walk from down in Times Square to services this morning. And as I got out, I, I, I walked out and, and began to see the challenges all around us. So I walked out in the middle of, of the heart of the greatest city in the world, and, and, and yet like a, like a temple built up to say, look at the light, we can spread this to the world. And I thought the futility of all this comes down to Jesus is going to reign, his kingdom is going to come, and his will is going to be done. And so I walked up first to Broadway, and then I, I walked down the street, and I saw two people in a very loud argument, right? And I, and I, and I saw the, some dynamics that were at play there. There were ethnic and racial dynamics at play in the midst of that argument. I won't go into all the details, but there's a time coming when the domain of King Jesus makes all things right, when 
inequity, when brokenness, when racial injustice is addressed because King Jesus, the prayer has been fulfilled, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but not yet. And so I walk down the street a little bit more, and I walk down West 57th Street where our building is under construction. When I walked down West 57th Street, I was struck by the fact that across the street is Gucci and, and all the tall, super talls and, and, and people who think that money on billionaires row, that's what they call the street where our church meets. Well, this is the church where our place where our church meets now. But on billionaires row, all kinds of people not knowing ultimately that King Jesus comes to rule and to reign. I walked by the church and it was a little sobering to see it all behind those green walls. But you know, there'll be a time when men and women won't even need buildings that people everywhere will give worship to King Jesus because they know and they pray and they join us, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But it's not yet. And so I walked up down 57th Street, and then I eventually started working up Park Avenue, went by Central Park for a while, and I saw the Sherman statue with, the, with the, the angel before him bringing victory in war. And there's a time that's coming when there'll be no more war, there'll be no more battles, where Jesus will reign over all, but it's not yet. And then came here walked here this morning and thought to myself, I started listening, put my headphones in, and Christy Knuckles has a version of our God is a mighty God, and I was listening, and I actually started to sing. I was just walking down the street, seeing the contrast walking down Park Avenue, seeing a homeless woman on one side and some of the richest of the rich on the other, neither of whom I know if they bow before King Jesus but I know all will, but not yet. So the reality is there's a domain, thy kingdom come. And we now as followers of Jesus are submitted to the rule and the reign of King Jesus. So you are part of the domain as a citizen, which is third, the citizens of the kingdom. Because throughout Scripture, God seeks to be in personal communion and covenant with his people. Israel was to be God's people, right? Living in the promised land to serve as a kingdom of priests. In the New Testament, right, we, we see Jesus, both the better Adam and the better Israel, through his death, the resurrection, and ascension. And the sending of the Spirit gives birth to the church. The church isn't the kingdom, but the kingdom births the church in its wake. But we are citizens of the already but not yet kingdom. And as citizens, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But it's not just that we pray for that. It's not a passive prayer. We can't take one verse, Matthew 6.10, out of the context of the fullness of Scripture because Jesus gives the citizens of the kingdom a message to spread the domain of the kingdom and the message of the king. Look with me at Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Now that I look at Matthew chapter 10, I would say to you we will get to this soon, but we won't. We'll hopefully get through the rest of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of Samaritan. It's not yet for that. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Listen to what he says. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the citizens of the kingdom 
have a message of the kingdom that spreads the domain of the kingdom so people might worship the king because it's not yet present and true everywhere. So Paul wrote to the Ephesians about their present citizenship through Jesus. He says, so no, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So you are fellow citizens. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying to our king, that the king, that his domain might spread, that as citizens we may be, might be part of spreading that domain. So we're citizens of the kingdom already as we await for the hope that is not yet. Let me say it again so you don't miss it. We're citizens of the kingdom already while we wait for the hope that is not yet of the day when God sets all things right. And walking through our great city, you could see the yearning that you and I can feel. Thy kingdom come. Maybe you can see me walking down the street. And you know, the great thing about being in New York City is that walking down the street, talking to yourself and singing is not an unusual experience. So, and the great thing about singing when you got your headphones in, you don't know whether you're singing badly or you're singing well. So I'm just singing, our God is an all-consuming God. And walking down the street singing, looking up and looking around, I yearned this morning, thy kingdom come. Right, so our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3, and we, from it we await a Savior. Don't miss the language, right? Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body and make it into his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. There is a time coming, we don't know when, there is a time coming when the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of our God and King. And this is not just about the end of all things, Jesus coming back. It's about the spreading of his domain before he does. So, and fourth, there's the law of the kingdom. There's a new rule because there's a new reign, right? There's a new way we live because we understand the law of Christ. Because with Jesus, we're now not under condemnation, but under the Spirit. So the king reigns through a set of laws and statutes that govern the people of his land, just like he did in the Old Testament, he does today for his glory. And those realities are meant to reflect the nature, the character, the attributes of the king and his kingdom. So as followers of Jesus, we live differently than the world. Romans chapter 8 beautifully expresses that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life, listen to that, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ. This is the life you are to live under the reign of King Jesus, not a life of desperation trying to find meaning where someone will love you at a club, not a life of excess free of generosity and care, not a life focused on yourself and your success but instead a life submitted to Jesus. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. The kingdom now shows the world 
as it should be. That's why here at Calvary we serve the hurting. So the kingdom of God might be evident in us and through us. That's why we work for racial reconciliation. So the kingdom of God would be evident in us and through us. That's why we advocate for a more just world. So the kingdom of God would be evident in us and through us. So we don't just pray passively, Lord, we know it's a mess, so thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say, here I am, Lord, send me as an instrument of your kingdom into the brokenness to make the world more like Jesus would call it and desire it to be. That's number one. That does not bode well on that clock. You have kept me away from you for three weeks. So I hope you packed a lunch. Number two. Number one is God calls us to long for the kingdom. Number two, God has a purpose for us in the kingdom. God has a purpose for us in the kingdom. Four words. Your will be done. I want you to say them out loud with me. Are you ready? Your will be done. Say it again. Your will be done. This points to God's purpose. God desire and design for us, right? That's not always easy. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is submitting himself to the will of the Father. It says, going a little farther, he fell on his face, Jesus did, and he prayed, saying, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. When we're saying your will be done, we're saying we believe God is God and God is good and that we are surrendering our will to a better one, the will of God. And let me also say this is also tied to the Great Commission. We just had our missions conference. Why would people leave the perfectly good confines of the boroughs and go somewhere on the other side of the world without the accoutrements and without the opportunities that are before them, that's because they're getting in the will of God and there's no better place to be in the center of God's will for your life. People always say they're trying to find the will of God. The will of God's not lost. You've got to find the will of God. The best way to discern God's will is to do what you know to be God's will, to walk with God in obedience and serve Him in love. And when we do that, we become instruments of His purposes. We become tools in the Master's hand. And He is always at work. We sang a song a few minutes ago that has become pretty popular. Right? It's kind of spread all around the world. It says it's called Waymaker written by a Nigerian worship leader. You can actually watch the original video as she's singing outside. It's pretty powerful. But it is spread all around the world. And here we sing it today, this morning. Now, it kind of got pretty famous, but what you may remember is there's one time when it went viral. It was on every news station, ABC News, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. It was, it was everywhere around the world at the beginning of the pandemic. Because the pandemic has caused a lot of us to ask the question, maybe you've struggled, God, what is your will? Or maybe you've prayed through it for the Lord to end this and said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, so that we can move beyond all of the pain and struggle. And you remember early on here in New York City, we were disproportionately hit and hit hard. I bet you remember New York City particularly. And there was some in LA and 
There was some in Chicago, but not like there was in New York City. But there was actually one place that percentage-wise, per capita-wise, at the beginning of the pandemic had a larger outbreak per capita than New York City. Anybody remember the small town? It's Albany, Georgia. Because Albany, Georgia, there was a gentleman who fell ill. This was late March 2020. And if you remember around late March 2020, this was the time when Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks was saying that, this Mar matter of fact, March 31st, they said, even if we did all the mitigation we could, 100,000 to 240,000 people are going to die. The country, New York City, was shut down. Sirens were running 24-7 in March. And people didn't quite know how to respond. Soon the country was shut down. And Albany, Georgia, this gentleman got sick. And he went to, in Doherty County is the name of the county, they had a funeral for him, and about 50 people showed up for that funeral, and there was an outbreak at that funeral. 90% of the sickness and death in Albany were in the African-American community, as so often we have seen disproportionately impacting marginalized communities. So Albany, Georgia is now all over the news. And so on April 1, 2020, a group of Christians, because by now everything was shut down, you couldn't go to the hospitals, you couldn't, you couldn't go, you could go to your car, and if you want to see this video, it's easy to find, type in Albany, Georgia, Waymaker, not right now, but after church, and what you'll see is people got out of their cars, people turned it up, and they began to sing as the healthcare workers came out of the hospital that day. Even though we don't see it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working, Waymaker. Because they knew that in the midst of all of the difficulty in the world, when the world pushed back, when the brokenness of the world and its diseases and its sicknesses, and we don't know what this is going to mean, we can say with confidence, He is working. He is the way maker. So we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Make your way, your will be done. Are you tracking with me? Your will be done. Be done means come to pass. So it's a command. It's actually a form of a command. We can boldly come before God in prayer and say, Lord, make it done. It's your will. Number one, God calls us to long for the kingdom. Number two, God has a purpose for us in the kingdom. Number three, God grants us a place in the kingdom. Love this. On earth, as it is in heaven. It's on the screen. Would you say it with me? Let's do it together. On earth as it is in heaven. We pray not only that the kingdom would come so that many would go with us to heaven. We also pray that heaven would come down to earth, that the world would be made more like Jesus wants it to be. The lights of Times Square would point us to praise and worship of the king because the kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. So this also recognizes that, um, that this life currently is not heaven. It's not how things should be. We need a reminder in our world filled with rancor, division, and offense. This is not what it's supposed to be like. So we yearn for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We pray God's will might be done on earth so it'll look more like heaven right now, and then ultimately 
Jesus will return and make all things as he desires it to be. This also recognizes that God's will already done in heaven is best. It's true even when we face trials, like the pandemic we've walked through. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, put it this way. God knows what will best minister to his gracious designs. To us, it seems a sad waste of human life that a man after man should go to a region plagued by malaria, it's talking about missionaries, and perish in the attempt to save, his writing, the heathen. But infinite wisdom may view the matter differently. When you have recalculated things around the king, the kingdom, and our citizenship, you view things differently. Maybe you heard someone say, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. It's a beautiful statement. It's true. As long as you have the perspective of his eternal kingdom and recognize it's an honorable thing to die as a martyr or to suffer for the decisions you have made for the Lord's sake. Or daily there are those around you who have suffered in the process of serving the Lord. Now, this is also a reminder on earth as it is in heaven that we would be as close to the Lordship of Jesus to live as much as we can. We'll never fully achieve it, but God's will would be done in our life. So I pray in my quiet time, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my heart and my mind before I go into the day. And in doing so, it reorders my priorities and refocuses my life. God's will was done on earth as it is in heaven in the garden before the fall, and it will be done again in the new creation. But between that, we are in the already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is already here. We're citizens of the kingdom. The king is here. We're extending his domain as we share the good news of the gospel, as we work to make the world more as Jesus would have it to be, caring for those who are without, showing love to those who are pushed out, and more, making a difference in the world. We're spreading his domain as citizens of his kingdom, under his rule in his reign. Peter's writing to believers scattered because of persecution, the apostle Peter, and he gives a glimpse of how we're to live, to see the reality around us, to live to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven, even in the midst of their persecution. Here's what he writes. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's the citizenry right there. That's us. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's us extending his domain and his reign. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're made a people under the reign of the king. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is not our home. When I was walking up Broadway, across 57th, up 5th Avenue, over 68th, I was reminded again that as much as I love this city of my upbringing, this is not my home. The brokenness needs to be fixed. Jesus will set all things right, and he's called me to make a difference before he comes back. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Obviously, things are broken. C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. If you've read the book or watched the movie, raise a hand. Lots of you, okay. It's kind of like required for Christians to read and watch. There comes a time 
when the white witch has invaded the land, set up her castle, and by her witchery made it winter, yet never Christmas. You remember this. She then claimed to be the sovereign queen over all of Narnia. There comes a point in the story when Mr. Beaver, right, is very displeased with her using the title of queen, right? You remember that from the movie. But Aslan, the true sovereign, the true king, doesn't get banana shape. He tells Mr. Beaver, peace, Beaver. All names will soon be restored to their proper owners. Sisters and brothers, God one day will restore all things. Right now, Jesus already is claiming over every inch of the world, every domain of reality, he's claiming mine. This is my domain. And he is Lord, and they don't know it. He is king, and they're not aware of it. So our role is to submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ, to announce to a world that we're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And part of that is we want to tell them what it means to be part of the domain submitted to King Jesus, following him as Savior. So God one day will restore all things. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, It's not just a prayer for the return of Jesus, because the next participle says, on earth, as it is in heaven. It's also a call for us to join Jesus on his mission in the midst of a broken and hurting world. And my exhortation to you is that in the midst of a difficult time, we need a spirit-filled people bowed before King Jesus, making his name and his fame more well-known around the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that these words are so known to so many. Lord, I I know that in times of distress, people who haven't been to church in 30 years might start praying they are Father. And they'll come to these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I pray the truth of that prayer so easily on our lips, so difficult in our heart and our lives and the focus of our lives, that we might today more deeply walk through that truth. Indeed, Lord Jesus, that we might pray, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come and your people in obedience to you trust and follow you the king, with his domain, with his citizens, ultimately under his rule, under his laws, may we reflect King Jesus as citizens of the kingdom in this already, but not yet. Lord Jesus, just as in World War II, on D-Day, the world, the war was, was probably won, but on VE Day, the war was done. Lord, we know that on the cross, when you said, it is finished, and when that was validated and evidenced as God raised you from the dead on the third day, that it was won. The victory is assured. You've conquered sin, death, and hell. But Lord, the battle in this world is not yet done. 
May we join with Christians over 2,000 years, praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.